not beetling James, you will actually beetling Mark. Uh, so the passage is Mark 12, 1 to 12, in your red Bibles, that is page 707. If you don't have a red Bible, then it's like this far through your Bible. Um, yeah. So Mark 12, verses 1 to 12. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He still sent another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, the son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builder has rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. If you could keep your Bibles open to Mark chapter 12. Um, sorry to take this little digression away from James for a week. But, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for your word to us. We pray that this morning um, you'll challenge those of us who need to be challenged, that you'll encourage those of us who need to be encouraged. Um, we just pray, Father, as we read your word, that you'll be um, yeah, by your spirit working in our hearts. To, to do your work for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The, uh, the French philosopher and atheist, Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, who died back in 1980, once described the origins of his atheism. He said, I walked into this cafe and I sat down and I ordered something to drink. And there was this man opposite me who was also on his own with a small glass of wine in front of him. And this man just stared at me with a cold, compassionless stare, as if he was drilling into my soul and stripping me of all my value and dignity. That's what I felt, said Sata. The man didn't say anything. He just stared at me as if he was stone. And then he said, It suddenly occurred to me that God looked at me like that. That that's what God was like. Staring at me, looking right through me, stripping me, shredding me of value and meaning. And Sada said, as a human being, I hated that. I couldn't bear that experience. And because God was like that, 
I decided that I would hate God for the rest of my life. And he went through life with this horribly twisted view of God. No wonder he hated him. No wonder he hated even the idea of an existence of a God like that. But in the parable we're looking at this morning, Jesus gives us a very different picture of God. We see a God who is generous, kind, loving, forgiving, patient, and yet also a God who is just. And now before we get into this parable, it's actually really helpful to know that there's a lot going on in the background here. Jesus isn't just pulling this story out of thin air. air. There's there's a context. Uh, For starters, there's the cultural context. In first century Palestine, there was actually a law that stated if an owner failed for four years to come and collect uh, and claim his rent, then the possession of the vineyard actually transferred to the tenants who worked the land. They could own the property. So the tenants might well hope that if they were troublesome enough, then the absent owner might say, uh, stay away and not bother to come and collect his rent. So that's the, that's the cultural context, which I think is quite interesting. Secondly, the, the biblical historical context. This parable that Jesus told was actually a reworking of another uh, parable, another story in the Bible, which the prophet Isaiah told uh, 800 years before. And in that parable, in Isaiah chapter 5, the people of Israel were pictured as a vineyard and that God had carefully planned and protected and planted. So they were a favoured nation. They were God's special people. Right at the start of the Bible, in Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, out of all the peoples of the world, I'm choosing you, and I'm making a covenant, a promise to you. Your descendants are going to be my special people, and you'll live in a special land with Jerusalem as its capital, and you'll be under my perfect rule. And through you and your descendants, all peoples on earth are going to be blessed. Through you and your descendants, I'm going to bring about a reversal of the fall. I'm going to bring creation back to what it should be. He's so good to them. Bless them so much. And out of that blessing, these people are meant to be a light to the nations around them. Their words and their actions are meant to be saying, Why don't you come to our God? He's a wonderful God. Can't can't you see how how he's cared for us and looked after us and loved us? He'll do it for you too. Come and join us. And yet the parable goes on and Isaiah says that Israel produced no fruit. They showed no gratitude. They spurned God's love and God's goodness. They refused to obey his commands. And finally God says, what more could I have done for my vineyard than I've done for it. Yet when I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? So we have the cultural context in Palestine, the biblical context from Isaiah 5, but thirdly we have the immediate context. In the passage just before this, Jesus enters Jerusalem as the Messiah and he comes and he cleans out the temple. He drives out the money changers saying, my house will be a house of prayer but you've made it into a den of robbers. And what's the tenant's response? Verse 18, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. 
Now, why do they want to kill him? Well, we read on. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Jesus is a threat to their authority. He's walking around as if he owns the place. And so they want to put him in his place. Verse 28. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. Who gave you authority to do this? Who do you think you are, Jesus? That's really the key question of this passage we're looking at this morning. But notice that Jesus evades their question and instead he says, let me tell you a story. And so chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and he moved to another place. Well, John Paul Sartre may have felt that God was cold, compassionless, stripping him of all his value and dignity. But that's not the picture of God here, is it? God is so generous here. He's provided everything the tenants need. A good vineyard planted with vines. Wonderful, meaningful work to do. And there's a wall of protection around them. A press in which to make their wine a a watchtower for security. And the emphasis here is on God's loving care and provision for his tenants. He looks after every single aspect. The vineyard is fully equipped with everything they need to be fruitful. Now, I think there's a universal truth here, not just for the leaders of the people of Israel at that point in history, but also for every every person at every point in history. And that truth is that there's no stinginess in God's provision for us. God has neglected nothing in providing for us as creatures in his world. If you view this world from space, what a rich, fertile, colourful planet God's given us to live on. He's been so generous to us. Now, of course, for some of us, because we've known trials and hardships, it can be hard to see that sometimes, can't it? But what about the love that you've poured into, have had poured into your life? What about your family, your, your church family? What about friends? What about your health or, or what about your work, the, the roof over your head, food on the table? God's so generous in providing for us. And I've got to admit, being a glass half empty person myself, so often I fail to see just how much God has blessed me. Are you the same? I don't know about you, but it actually challenges me to be more grateful to God for all the blessings he's poured out on me. God is so generous. And then as we go on in the parable, can we see there that God does not micromanage the tenants? Verse 1, then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and he moved to another place. God gives them real responsibility and he lets them get on with it. His tenants have freedom to organise their affairs. See, the human race, you and I, we are the tenants of God's property. We didn't create it. We didn't earn it. We don't own it. But we are trusted with God's world. And we're given time and choices and resources and relationships and opportunities and all sorts of things to be fruitful in God's world. He gives us real responsibility and the freedom to carry it out. 
to be fruitful in his world. So God is generous. He gives us responsibility. And then thirdly, and this is so amazing, God is so patient with us. Verse 2. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. Not all of it, just some of it. Not what they couldn't afford, just some of it. But they seized him, beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another and that one they killed. He sent many others, some of them they beat Others they killed. Jesus is talking here about the prophets in the Old Testament. God is so patient, so long-suffering with Israel. He sends prophet after prophet to warn them. And not over years, but over centuries. Jeremiah, Amos, Zephaniah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Malachi, Haggai. The list just goes on and on and on. And God sends them and he just wants them to collect the fruit from his people, from Israel. And the fruit of the vineyard is simply obedience to God's instructions. That's the debt we owe to our maker, isn't it? To live our lives uh, the way that he would want us to live them. So he says, will you love me with your whole heart, mind, soul and strength? And will you love your neighbour as yourself? Sounds fair enough, doesn't it? And yet despite God's generosity... Despite man's responsibility, despite God's patience, what we actually see here chillingly is man's treason against God. These people placed in the vineyard as tenants act as if they're the owners. That's the key. They swing the whole thing around and it's as if the owner is trying to steal their property. And so the trust that the owner shows them in allowing them freedom and responsibility It's totally abused. In fact, they use their freedom to deny the owner his rights. Have you ever thought of human beings in that way? Using our freedom to deny God his right to rule over our lives? It's outrageous when you think about it. See, what we we like to do is we like to think that like God is kind of some kind of benign, benevolent, kind of a Santa Claus kind of figure. A God who doesn't interfere in our lives, who will make everything okay for us in the end. But we will not have a God who insists on his right to rule over us. And we resent his interference in our lives. And so look what happens, verse 6. This is God's last resort. He had one left to send a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all saying, they will respect my son. So this is Jesus' answer to the Jewish leader's question back in chapter 11, verse 28. Who gave you the authority to do this? That's their question. And Jesus' answer, God gave me the authority. I'm his son. God's patience and love are so great that at last he sends his son, his only son, He's not another in the series of the prophets. He's not the climax of the series or even the greatest in the series. No, this is an ambassador of an altogether different sort. And at last God sent him. What are the tenants going to do? As they're confronted with the owner's son, the owner's son, what are they going to do? Verse 7, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him 
and the inheritance will be ours. Please just notice here, this is no accident. Can you see how cold-blooded it is? They don't kill the heir. They don't kill Jesus by mistake because they failed to recognise who he was. No, it's precisely because they do know who he is that they kill him. You see, the tenant farmers, what they really wanted was not to enjoy the vineyard, but to own it. And that, I'm afraid, is true of all of us. I don't know if you've ever heard that poem, Invictus, the final lines of the poem. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. We want to be the owners. And therefore, we will not tolerate the presence of the true owner. I am my own. That is the the great treacherous longing of the human heart. And we see here that it destroys Jesus, but we see in verse 9 that it also destroys us. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? I mean, what should God do? He's been generous. He's been patient. At last, he sent his only son. And such is the rebellion of these tenants that, that they will kill his son. I mean, what, what do you think God should do? See, as we read this, we, the reader, are meant to feel the fury. We're not just kind of meant to sit back objectively. How dare these tenants kill God's son, the owner of it all? What right do they have to do this? That's what we should be feeling. He's been so generous, so patient. Surely we can see the need for those terrible words in verse 9. He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Surely we can see the need for that. And can you see the tenants' mistake here? They thought that because the owner was far away, because they'd done everything in their power to exclude him from the vineyard, they thought that it would stop him being the owner. And so so often, that's our mistake, isn't it? To think that if I shut God out of my life, he will stop being God. But he won't. However much we want him not to be God, however much we act as if he doesn't exist, God cannot stop being God. See, the tenant's mistake is that they totally underestimate God. They think God will let them do this. We can run this world for ourselves. We can run our lives for ourselves, but we cannot stop God being God. Verse 9, eventually he will come and in judgment he will kill those tenants. He couldn't have been more generous. He couldn't have been more patient, but he will act in judgment. I am my own. It's the one principle that will send us to hell. And you may say, well, is that then? Is that it? Is that is that Christianity, is it? That's what the Christian faith's all about. God's generous. He's patient. But actually, he's going to come and he's going to judge me in the end because I've rebelled against him. Is that Christianity? God's been so loving that one day he'll send me to hell. That's the end of it. Well, no. Because the psalm that Jesus quotes next shows us that there is another way, another option. Verse 10, this is extraordinary. Jesus says, haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it's marvellous in our eyes. The psalmist was looking down history, anticipating Jesus who'd be rejected by the people of Israel 
They bump their shins on him and constantly clash with him, as you see right throughout Mark's gospel. But Jesus will become the new foundation stone of a new community of God's people. And he's saying to us here, will Jesus be the foundation stone of your life? You get one short life. We know how fleeting it is, don't we? We know how precious it is, but it's short. And he's asking us, what's going to be your foundation stone? Because you see, the one who is telling the parable is the one who is going to die to rescue us. He's going to pay the punishment, the price for our treason on the cross. And he says to us, you know, you've not behaved as you should have in my world. Each day you fail. But the reason you can stay here in my vineyard, stay with me for eternity, is because I will buy you a pardon by dying on the cross. My blood will be a a payment for you to be rescued. So I give you the vineyard. I'm generous. And I give you plenty of warning. I'm patient. I must come in judgment. But if you put your trust in me, if you make me the foundation stone of your life, I'll rescue you even from that judgment. That is the goodness of God. He's so good to us, so generous. I pity John Paul Sartre. I can't believe that he went through his entire life with such a a twisted view of God. Stripped me of all my value and dignity? No. God is not like that. He's generous. He's patient. He will judge, but he can rescue you even from that judgment. And you can't beat that. You can't beat that. Now, as we close, I want to say, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I think this passage raises a a few questions for you that that you you might need to think about quite, quite seriously. Firstly, is this God's world or is it my world? Is he the owner or am I? And how is God, having been so gracious and generous, how is he going to respond if I've lived my whole life without reference to him. And if it's not important how I live, then why did God send his son to die? Surely it must be important if Jesus had to rescue me from that judgment. I don't know where you stand on those questions. Maybe you feel like you you know, you know, need a bit more time to check out this whole Christianity thing, but please do check it out. Don't go through your life like John Paul Sartre with a, a twisted picture of God of your own imagination it's an agonizing thing and our great desire is that you won't that won't be the case for you now of course for many of us here this morning we are followers of jesus so i think the application for us firstly is this are you thankful grateful god you've been so generous so patient i know you must judge but you will rescue me because you are my cornerstone Thank you so much, Jesus. And then secondly, you know the temptation is that we'll make Jesus one of the stones in our lives, but not the chief cornerstone, the the foundation on which everything else is built. So if he's not our foundation, we we need to think about that, don't we? And ask his forgiveness because he's the owner. We're the tenants.
he gets to call the shots. And then lastly, just notice that God is still looking to collect the fruit of the vineyard from his people, just like he was from Israel. He's looking for his people to love him, serve him wholeheartedly. He's wanting his people to represent him to the world so that all peoples on earth will be blessed through the cross. Our words and our actions are meant to say, why don't you come and uh, come to this God? He's a wonderful God. You know, can't you see how he's cared for, for me? Look at what he's done in my life. Look at what Jesus has done for me. He's wanting his people to be a, a light to the nations, to show the whole world how good our God is. The whole world. And so for some of us, that means that that fruit means obeying his voice and stepping out in faith and leaving the comfort of home, just like Abraham did, moving to another place somewhere in the world where Jesus isn't yet known so that they too can experience the love and the generosity and the grace of our great God. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your generosity to us, your patience with us. Thank you for your rescue from judgment. And thank you that you've sent the Lord Jesus to do all of this for us. Please help us to recognise him, to embrace him, to know what it means to follow him and to produce the fruit of your vineyard. Amen.